When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Peacock is streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals, and every live WWE pay-per-view. It's The Office, Chris Lee Knows Best, and Peacock original shows like Punky Brewster. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good afternoon and welcome to an On The Whistle podcast. Uh, Post-West Ham game, I'm here with Johnny. What's going on, Pete? You all right? I'm good. Uh, Johnny, let's do let, let's do the upfront introductions uh, today. Uh, like, te- Tell everybody where they can get your podcast. Uh, yeah, oh, that's a good idea, actually. Um, I'm, uh, I've, I, I do a podcast about around fatherhood, but it's like a light-hearted look at it uh, and different people's experiences based around podcasts, so uh, uh, around fatherhood, I should say. So that's the How's Your Father podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Do check it out. This week's one's really great. Uh, Jeff Innocent, an absolute stalwart of the British comedy scene, is on there, and he's hilarious and interesting. So definitely do it, guys. If you've been meaning to do it, check it out today. And if you notice, the strategy was that I'll do something endearing towards Johnny so he doesn't rip into Artessa, <laughs> this one. That was that was the plan. Uh, I'm also with uh, Matt Candela. Matt, it's great to have you on the show after seeing you yesterday. How are you doing today? Pretty good, mate. Pretty good. Uh, getting my head around what we've just witnessed uh, at the London Stadium, trying to uh, compile some thoughts. Yeah. Bizarre. Uh, Bizarre ninety. We're we're basically twenty minutes after um, after the result was in. It was a, a three three draw. Um, I think we had a little bit of everything. I think some people were right in the Arteta obituaries, and then <laughs> then everything turned around. So uh, let's go to Johnny first for the hottest of takes. Um, yeah, yeah. So I may have been one of those people writing obituaries. The thing is, is it's so weird to be an Arsenal fan at the moment. Like you live in this permanent schizophrenia of like it, anyone who I believe is critically analysing Arteta and his performance, um, will bounce from the absolute sublime to the ridiculous. And that was what this game was in a nutshell, basically. You've got a situation now where I don't think that we can keep looking at the way that Arsenal are starting matches and just excuse it as, you know, poor performance or one or two players not being switched on. This is happening so regularly now that it has to be addressed as a serious, serious problem and a real issue to deal with if we want to see any real progression with regards to the team and the success that we ultimately want to attain because it it, it is so much, it's so significant of an issue Despite the fact that we do have a talent and ability to get ourselves out of a jam, as we went on to see, if we keep hamstringing ourselves against teams, we are not. We're going to come a cropper. It's just the nature of it, and we have really got to sort out this situation with starting poorly. That being said, um, the way that we showed guts 
determination, energy to come back and with a few standout performances. Obviously, Cafu has signed for us. Um, uh, in, Pete Cafu, I should say, has signed for us over the weekend and yep. uh, has put a Callum Chambers mask on. Uh, and it was great to see the lads out there. Um, and also, Zinedine Zidane has um, decided to release his spirit and channel it into a little Norwegian fellow who he's put out on loan because absolute different gravy from those two standout performers. Um, but at the end of the day, as as good as and and as inspire, inspiring as that comeback felt, the fact that it was even necessary cannot you know, not 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 leave a bad taste in the mouth. Macandela, nobody in the game is better at analysing the first two minutes than you. <laughs> what what were you thinking today? Well, I didn't like the lineup much when it came out. I thought defensive pairing was an odd choice, uh, considering we've just had, feels like we're just getting Gabriel back to form. He's you know one of our big big defensive signings. Um, I thought I thought he would he would retain his place. Um, Cal Chambers, I was like, why on earth are we playing our third choice right back today? It felt a little bit too clever. It felt like we were worried about their aerial ability and we were rejigging our back line. But you don't rejig your back line for West Ham. You you you, you play your best back line every game you can, in my opinion. And then we had the Obama Yang Lacazette thing. You know, obviously. Desperately disappointed that ESL wasn't in the starting lineup (laughs) (laughs) from a personal standpoint. I saw Um, you hate tweeting Arteta. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? So, uh, and look, regardless of the team lineup, the first thing that you noticed out of the blocks was we were slow, unfocused, sluggish, second to every ball. You know, before the goal went in, the first goal, it was pretty obvious it was coming. And, um, you know, you look back on it at the beginning at sort of halftime, you're cursing the lineup, but actually by the end, you know, the lineup was good enough to get a result. It was more about the way the team was prepared, the focus. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know. I, mean, we, I, I thought that having a poor game in midweek would mean we'd be more focused for the weekend, even as if we were, we were more focused on this. And I thought we would use the Spurs game and take that momentum. But I don't know. Is it was it complacency? It, it looked and smelt like complacency to me, um, which is weird because they're a team seven points higher up the league than us in fourth place. So I don't understand um, the mindset, but um, there was definitely something wrong at the outset. Yeah, I agree. My 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 hot take, if I could sort of wrap all of the craziness that we saw in that game up into like one thing, it's like. Um, Mikel Arteta is uh, a junkie for uh, deference to senior players. Uh, I thought the lineup just reeked of the comfort that he seems to get when we when we string a few games together. It's like uh, you know an open for uh, older, less focused players to just start game after game. David Luiz on a pitch that big. Uh, felt like a disastrous decision from the start. David Luiz against a team that he thinks he is beneath was a disaster. We see it time and time again when there's something in a game when he knows the world is watching. He's he's a warrior. He's one of the best, you know, he's our best centre-back when he's focused. When it's a game that he doesn't fancy, he just doesn't show up. And David Luiz didn't show up today, didn't think he was intense, didn't think that he was focused at all. And, you know, the, the big the big elephant in the room is um, is Aubameyang. Uh, you know, we, we, we sent him to jail for, for being late uh, and then you know we, we've we've let him get away with Robin Banks um, two games in a row. He was an absolute dis- disgrace against Olympiacos in the week. There should have been some form of accountability today. There wasn't, and he put in the exact same performance. We played with ten men for eighty minutes today. He doesn't challenge in the box. I think he completed four sprints in the first half. If if Gabriel Martinelli can get dropped for an entire month for 55 bad minutes against Aston Villa. How the hell is Aubameyang in the starting 11 again? I, th- I thought, um, and I, I think this is, a, this, this is a real, real weakness of Arteta and his coaching staff, that there's just simply not accountability 
for for senior players. And I think he's got himself into a real bind. He made a big statement that paid off by dropping him against Spurs. Correct decision. And now he's desperately turning up with bunches of flowers to try and get his star man playing again. And it's and it's not happening. I, th- I thought um, I thought today was a Martinelli game. He should have started. Um, and I think that if Martinelli had started, we might have seen uh, a different Arsenal. And then overall, I think it's like maybe I, I think to your point, Matt, uh, too clever. I think uh, you know Arteta. Arteta assumed that West Ham would sit back. Um, they didn't. They pressed our back four with four men, and we just didn't have any answers. We looked completely clueless. Uh, but let's go. Let's go blow for blow. Let's um, let's let's talk about what happened in the first half and what it says about Arsenal. Like West Ham were not predictable, and they 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 dropped a high press, something they don't normally do. Johnny, what does it say about Arsenal that we had absolutely no response <laughs> in, the, in the opening first half? What, what did you think about the mistakes, the defending? Well, the thing is, look, um, you know. Um... When I talk about what it's like to live in this bubble of being an Arsenal fan at the moment, you know, and the kind of ebbs and flows, it's what what we're watching with Arteta and his Arsenal team is a evolution, and and as as it keeps evolving, you're seeing more and more as fans, you're starting to understand what is trying to be achieved, whether it's possible, and you know the the pros and cons of it all. And what I'm saying is, last week I came out here. On the on the pod, and I was saying, look, I, you know, I am starting to see those shoots of life, and I'm starting to believe. And all I'm saying is, there's got to be accountability for the manager as well, in the sense that if we can attribute praise to strategy and lineups, and you know, even substitutions in different games, then we have to say that if Arteta cannot regularly get this team up for it then that also has to be, you know, part of his report card. We have to be able to look at it and say, why is this lack of intensity constantly happening? If there's one thing you knew about the West Ham team, regardless of the tactics they were going to play, they were going to be intense. It's what they've done all year. It's how they've played. It's the players that they have. It's the way that they... You know, and since Jesse Lingard signed for West Ham... They are not just the kind of lump it and hope it team anymore. They 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 tra- travel with the ball very well through midfield. They break on you very quickly. They've got pace. Like this should not have been a surprise. But the one thing that you absolutely had to have was an Arsenal team coming out there and starting on the front foot and being at least matching West Ham's intensity, if not bettering them. And I thought that you know defensively. We, I don't want to kind of go over old ground, but it's, you guys have already said it. I didn't think that um, a, a pairing of David Lu- Louise and, and Pablo Mari was, you know, what I would have done. I thought Gabriel definitely should have been playing, especially to match that uh, athleticism of Antonio. Because at the end of the day, Gabriel's our most, most athletic centre half. So what's he not doing there? I, I think Mari's been good and stuff lately, but at the end of the day, what Ga- what Antonio does is he bullies people. So we need some. We need our most intense and athletic centre half there. But as I say, you know, we can get into this, and and if you if you kind of criticise too much after a game of lineups and stuff, you can talk. You can be accused of revisionism. But one bit of uh, of um, kind of analysis that absolutely isn't revisionism is we have to start with the correct level of intensity. That, like, you could ask me before the game, you ask me after the game. In an Arsenal-West Ham game, you absolutely have to be at it. And there were players strolling around. Strolling around, not intense, not in people's faces, no challenges. And at the end of the day, if you're letting Lingard, you know, Lingard was running around looking like, you know, he was in Mbappe. It's ridiculous. And that, for me, speaks to the fact that we weren't at the right level of intensity with regards to how we started the game. And for me, that falls with our preparation and therefore the manager. Matt, what is it like defensively? Obviously not up to standard, but do you think it's um, fair to say that we are an underprepared team? I don't think it's... Well, we don't know whether we're underprepared or... Um, or, or what, what the issue is. We know that we obviously had a game uh, on Thursday. It's never ideal to be playing Thursday and Sunday. It's why the Europa is just, we've got to get out of the Europa um, because it just doesn't give, you, doesn't give you much time to prepare for these games. 
you know, you have two training sessions afterwards, basically, to focus on this. Um, but, you know, commitment from minute one should be a given. Um, it was certainly something, it feels like a non, one of the famous non-negotiables, right? And it was one of the things that Arteta addressed when he came in. It's something that has been an issue at Arsenal for over a decade, you know? <laughs> uh, be up for the big game against Tottenham, win, great performance next week. Lesser team, less intensity, embarrassing. You know, it's not. Uh, this is not a new a new pattern. Um, we hope we were getting away from it. Um, we're not. Um, it seems to be something that just, especially the more senior players, it's just in, it's just sort of in, ingrained in the club a little bit. So um, we are we are where we are. But you know disappointing when you're 3-0 down after 35 minutes and the only good thing about it was that it was 35 minutes because there was still time to come back yeah i i i, I don't think that i don't think necessarily i don't think that the team is, i don't think arteta can ever be accused of being underprepared i think he i think he's a very like, overprepared manager i just think that he got it tactically wrong today and i think david david moyes knew that Arteta was going to look at the patterns of play that he'd seen. And he just switched on a different mode. No one expected West Ham to press up high because that's not what they do. And Arsenal had absolutely no answers for that in the first half. And I thought the interesting thing about like how it turned around is you thought like West Ham were going to brutalise us for the first 20 minutes because we'd come off the back of a Thursday Thursday night game and they had the energy, the fitness and they were at home. But what was interesting is we were absolutely spanked for the first 30 minutes and actually we clawed our way back into the game and West Ham ended up looking tired in the end. And I I, I do think a lot of credit has to go to the the players. I felt like that, that starting 11 put us in the shit to start with, but it takes quite a lot of character to, to come out of, of that sort of moment. But I think the big learning for me is, uh, well, not that me, it should be for Arsenal. I think they assume that David Luiz makes us play better, that he's associated with all of our good performances. And he's associated with a lot of our good performances against good teams. But he just doesn't care about the little games. <laughs> and he is always capable of a fuck up. And I just wonder when it's going to click for uh, for Arteta like Cal Chambers was phenomenal today um, as a right back from a delivery perspective. He's hungry. He's young. He was brilliant before he got injured um, when he first started under Arteta. Play him against the Fulhams and the West Hams because at least he'll be focused. At least he'll treat West Ham like it's Real Madrid. David Luiz doesn't give a shit. He's just not up for it. And it's only going to get worse as he gets older. He just thinks he's beneath it. And I thought that, um, you know, for the free kick, he, 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 I thought he could have done better to get across and at least, you know, at least, at least make West Ham think. For the first goal, hands behind his back, didn't really commit for it. Like, he just wasn't really committed all day. And it was exactly the same for Aubameyang. Just the, the the lack of intensity through between those two players, and Arsenal just don't have a, a starting eleven strong enough to be able to deal with two super senior players playing like that. So, um, moving moving on to um, more positive. Can I just things. jump in on that point, Pete? Yeah. Just because I think you completely. The, the thing is, is when I say about we weren't prepared properly, you know, part of that, like, it's it's an all encompassing point, if you like, and. Part of the preparation is the fact that, as you've rightly um, kind of addressed, when you look at the lineup, it's not about just having players that you think, you know, if you're playing on top form football, they might look good in the side. It's about picking the right lineup for the opponent. And, you know, when you talked about having Martinelli in the team, that energy, that, that, this is the kind of, um, you know, these are the kinds of players that would hurt a West Ham and would be really useful to us with that energy, that desire. And, Oh, why are we starting a David Louise and people? Are, you know, so so when I say it, it's not just kind of like, you know, Arteta didn't go in there and went, don't worry, try him for the first half an hour. Right. It's about pick, looking at your opponent and addressing the way to get the maximum impact from the off. And if you've got like, a, if Callum Chambers is running around in training doing that, 
and you're saying, I want to add him in because of his intensity, then that's the kind of, those are the kinds of players that we want to see in there at the, who at the very least are going to show willing. You know, no one was looking at that going, where's Bellerin, that, Bellerin at the end of that game? Do you know what I mean? Because Callum Chambers at the very least showed intensity, which is what the minimum requirement is. He also added in a bit of world-class flair, but that's just Callum. Uh, so, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, but that's what I mean when I say about getting us ready. It's part of it is around selection, uh, team selection. Part of it is obviously a team chat, getting the right players. And obviously, you know, players like Aubameyang, if you're not at it, you shouldn't be in the team. And, uh, and he was absolutely dross today. So, like... A lot of bad stuff happened very quickly, but we did turn it around. And however you cut it, scoring three goals against West Ham has has not been uh, an easy thing to do this season. But Arsenal managed it. Um, I wanted to ask you both: like, what, what do you think? Who, who do you think led that charge? How do you think it went down? What was the? What do you? What did you see in that return performance? that was, was pretty dominant for at least I think, 50, 60 minutes. I think the best thing that came out of it was Martin Odegaard. Yeah. Because, I mean, that was as good a second half performance as I can remember seeing in the Premier League. I mean, all it was missing was, you know, he, he literally carried us on his back and looked like he was taking West Ham on completely on his own, surrounded by a sea of mediocrity at times. And... You know, it's good news and bad news. Good news is he was absolutely outstanding. He seems to be just getting better and better and better every game. I, I can't, it's going to be, it's so disappointing to think about him not staying. Um, the difficulty is he looks a class above Arsenal. Uh, <laughs> I mean, are we, are we going to be able to secure him? I mean, if I was another Premier League club, like a City, a Chelsea, United, I'd be trying to, nab him off Real Madrid, right? Um, they must be looking at those performances and they'll see someone who would have adjusted to the Premier League and, you know, we, we can hope that, you know, they're, they're keen to let him go and finance like an Mbappe move and we're desperate to make it happen and some of those conversations have happened. But he is so intrinsic to who we want to be that uh, I'm already getting anxious about our ability to secure him. <laughs> I yeah, think I, very Arsenal view there, Arsenal fan view. I think that he's not going to go to Man City because it'll be the same problem that he's got at Madrid. He's a star at Arsenal. 100%. Um, you know, uh, uh, first of all, that was Matt Candela at his finest. I love that. <laughs> I literally was purring over your comments. Yeah. I thought it was great. But I do think that, like Pete said, you're a little defeatist. I do think we'll get him um, because he is playing... Barring this game, when I thought he was the absolute best player on the pitch, he was abs- well. Him and Callum, obviously Callum, Cathy, <laughs> Chambers. But um, the fact is, is he he looked like an absolute Rolls Royce today. Really, really tidy football player. And just I didn't. This was the this was the part about Erdegaard that I was really interested to see whether he had it as part of his makeup, and that was the leadership. Because it's all well and good playing pretty football around the edge of the box. So yeah. He literally... He, it's not about when you receive the ball. It's the people who go looking for the ball. He was going looking for the ball. Give me the ball. Give me the responsibility. And we cannot get enough players that want to take responsibility at Arsenal because we've had a dearth of them for such a long, long time. And the simple facts of the matter are, I think he's playing well enough for all of the Arsenal fans to go, oi, oi, we've got someone here. And this could be like, he could be our best player in a year's time. That's scary. And, and that's why the anxiety that Matt talks about, I, I, I absolutely buy into. But he's not quite good enough to the point where, it's not like Eden Hazard, where he's just, you know, completely dominating games, you know, just at the highest level. So Real Madrid go, oh, I, I don't know if we can lose that. I don't think that Real Madrid are going to build their team around Erdegaard. And what he needs as a player is a team to look at him and say, you are actually probably going to be our best player, so we'll build our team around you. And that's what Arsenal can offer to him. I don't think City or anyone like that would be a potential threat. The biggest ones might be a Chelsea, but they've got so many players that they've bought in already. And obviously... A team like Tottenham, well, why would you want to go to a shithole like that? So, at the end of the day, I think we've got a very good chance of hanging on to him, especially if he's enjoying his life in London, he's enjoying his football. And to me, just if we just look at on-the-pitch performances, 
by the fact that he's growing in every single game, it looks like he's genuinely starting to really enjoy his football and enjoy the role that we're bestowing onto him at Arsenal because we need him and he feels needed. And going from a team like Real Madrid where you, you know, they're asking you to chop the oranges instead of get on the pitch, it will feel good to him to feel needed and be playing at this level. And I think he'll stay and thank God. Yeah, and look, we've got some weaknesses in Odegaard's game. He had five corners today, only found an Arsenal player twice. He had two, he had nine, he attempted nine crosses, only two. I mean, he's still a bit shit. Um, but let's talk about something that, like, he's, he made 37 out of 41 passes in the attacking third, um, which was phenomenal. Like, it, it, attacking third passes, <laughs> like, between West Ham and Arsenal, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six players. Um, in Arsenal had a, a more attacking passes than Aaron Questwell, who had a uh, Questwell uh, sixteen. And the 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 bit that I think Odegaard is starting to add to his game that I didn't expect. He's actually very fast. He's a quick player. He's got like quite, you know he's quite fast over short short spaces. But he um he had four take ons today and went round four players uh, t- today. The most most in the game. Like he's as he gets more confident. It's uh, he's starting to express himself. It almost feels like Özil when he first came into the squad in like you know 2014, 2015, or whatever. Like feeling his way into games, but uh, to, to be creating dominant performances like that at 22. And I think this is the thing about Odegaard. You have to be the complete player to make it at Madrid, or if you're that young, you have to be Spanish to sort of get the forgiveness of the fans. He's not a complete player at the moment, and I, I think. To get to Madrid levels, maybe he needs like three seasons at a, you know a club like Arsenal. I, I am quite happy to be a stepping stone, but I think you know the the only shame of it is that he doesn't have fans in the stadium because I feel like I, I, like when Arsenal fans really you know glom onto a, a a player that really elevates. You know, Cesc Fabregas used to love the adoration he'd get from the Arsenal fans. Robin van Persie used to love it, um, but. I think he's going to stay with us for next season. And the hope is that after next season, he's only got one more year on his Madrid deal. So maybe we can get him for 30, 35 million. But I don't think there's a danger of another Premier League club nipping in front. But uh, I, I thought there were two two interesting uh, parts to the, to the comeback today. And I know that Thomas Partey has been a bit loose of late, but I thought Thomas Partey had a, a pretty solid game at the base of midfield. And I thought... Um, Granite Xhaka wasn't as good as he has been of late and was a bit exposed by the physical side of it. But I thought Thomas Partey, Erdegaard and Lacazette really drove that performance forward. Like, I know that Lacazette's, you know, fighting for a new deal, but it's it cannot be uh, underestimated what a brilliant job he does in that kind of false nine position. And I know his goals, were, you know, his goal today was a, a little bit lucky with the deflection, but... He's a, he's a false nine that goes hunting for the ball. When you compare, compare that performance to to over out on the left or out on the right, over four sprints in the first half, absolutely shocking. But the thing that pisses me off about over is when he doesn't fancy it, he won't challenge for balls in the box like he he would prefer to sit back. Uh, he's even his even his sprints felt half ass today, and I just thought the difference between Lacazette and Over about the same age was 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 really telling. For for me, I I genuinely and I, you know, you wait after a game and you make your comments and people can easily accuse you of overreacting. But for me, it's more of a trend with Oba, and I genuinely think we should be looking at how we move on from him. I I, I have seen really really concerning trends from uh, the way Aubameyang's playing. Um, I don't. I think he is completely distracted. Doesn't look like he's up for it in the slightest. I mean, you know, we are focusing obviously on the West Ham game because obviously it's just finished. But the reality is, is he played in midweek, and though you mentioned it at the um, start, Pete, we need to, you know, really, really hammer down on the fact that in in midweek against Olympiacos, Aubameyang was absolutely shocking, missing. Like the fact is, is this guy is in the team for big chances because of his elite finishing and he will always deliver in killer instinct when he's got those big chances and that will justify his selection even if he's not been particularly influential in the game otherwise. 
massive chances. There was about three. I mean, he's going through on goal. He's he's eight yards out in front of goal. He's he's blazing over. It's it's just it's just awful. And the fact is, if you're not getting a response at this stage in the West Ham game when you've just played that poorly, you've got to look at it and go. I don't think he deserves to be starting in in our team right now. I don't know. I don't know how we can keep doing the same things. I think that if he wasn't captain, he'd already be dropped by now. And, you know, it is getting really, really concerning. Not only um, his like poor performances, but the kind of general attitude and what that transmits to the other players around him. Because, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's awful. Yeah, and it, it's... Uh, the- the thing that's annoying me a little bit is that Arteta did set up his career as the the master of the non-negotiables. Pep Guardiola would not tolerate Aubameyang. Would absolutely not. Uh, you know, we don't see Aguero in the City lineup at the moment because he's not doing the things that Pep wants. Carl Walker gets dropped. Anybody that doesn't hit the standards for Pep or doesn't hit the standards in every single game and play with that intensity doesn't start. But Arteta, and I don't know whether it's because he's a more youthful manager, just doesn't seem to have the same uh, the, the, the same rules for all of the players. Aubameyang was a disgrace and he should have gone off at halftime today. That would have been the yeah. move. He shouldn't have even started. The fact that he stayed on till 80 minutes was, um, was really concerning. Yeah. And it's like all the good work that he did last week by dropping him, rightly so, against Spurs. It feels like he's undone it by giving him a chance at Olympiacos, letting him stink out the place at West Ham. Like, what does that say to everybody else? But then the counter to that is he gave him a 300 grand a week contract, right? He's the he's the highest paid player at Arsenal. And he must be thinking, damn, I, I fall out with a lot of players. And it's, it, but again, it's it's like the full package with Arteta. That deal was bad judgment. Like, like Aubameyang is, is actually a weak character, in my opinion. Like he's he he's a very um, mood driven player. When he's yeah. down, he almost it almost looks like the color washes out of his face a little bit. Just not interested. Like and I I, I felt like you could see that he was going to play like that today. And I, I honestly don't know how we resolve it because no one in world football is going to pay him three hundred grand a week. So we're kind of lumped with him. I don't think it's. I think. Um... It's standard Arsenal fare, right? We're we're always thinking in black and white rather than in grey. And I think we just have to rewind a little bit, think about when the contract negotiation was happening. He just scored a couple of worldies to win us the FA Cup on his own, basically. Came out the blocks about three weeks later with outstanding performances against Fulham, in the, char- in the Community Shield against Liverpool. And he's gone off the boil. Um, and... But there was no one was suggesting that giving him a contract at the end of last season was a bad idea, and so I don't, I don't think that I wouldn't say that's strictly true. I think a lot of us discussed whether giving uh, an older player like that a three year deal at that level was problematic, and we discussed it on the show. Do you do you sell him on and bring in a, a younger striker? But I think that with COVID, with with basically no summer. All of those things that it's this is this is almost a lost season. So um, I don't think we had any choice to do what we did. I think it was in in reality. A, 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 it, I wish it had worked out better, but it, it, I don't think it's a terrible situation. The same way that you know the Özil one was. Um, he's now got two years left, um, and I don't think you can underestimate the stuff that's been going on behind the scenes. Um, I don't think he's been abysmal this season. I think he's been below his usually incredibly high standards. And I still think that coming out of COVID, fans back in stadiums, a good summer off, life getting back to normal, we can, it's, it's very, very likely that we'll have 25 to 30 goals out of Aubameyang next season. Do you, do you think that he's reacts to the stadium thing? Do you think he would be different? Do you think he, that attitude would carry if he had the energy of the fans behind him? Well, well I do think that Aubameyang is a, a confidence player. You know, there's no question about it. When he's confident, uh, he does things instantly and it just all looks so natural to him. And he and he's excellent. And just on that little, I don't know, even though you called it a debate between you two, I think you're both kind of right in the sense that 
first of all, as Matt's right, I, I, I don't think many people were really, you know, looking at when we gave him a contract and going, oh, this is a disaster, because it felt appropriate at the time in the sense that we needed to keep him. But also, Pete, I completely um, also empathise with the fact that we'd just given the Ozil deal and we didn't want to tie ourselves down to another bad deal. But for me... We had to get the deal done and it was what it was. I, I'm not even wanting to go over kind of old ground on this. I'm talking about, at the end of the day, we signed him, we signed him. But he's playing awfully. So how are we going to address the situation now? And for me, what is the most concerning is the fact that he's still our captain. What Mikel Arteta can't do is he cannot change the fact that we gave him the contract. He can't tear that contract up and go, no, you're not doing it anymore. That is what it is. Aubameyang's here. And the reality is, is on his day, he's absolute class, class talent. But the fact is, is he's putting in insipid performances week after week. And for me, that is really unsettling when we look at him as the club captain. Someone who has to embody what we're trying to do. He is the intermediary between Arteta and the team on the pitch. He has to embody what we're doing. And he looks absolutely dreadful. And for me, I either, whether that means you don't start him, which is, I don't think he should be starting anyway, or strip the captaincy of him and give it to an appropriate player. Because the fact is, I don't know whether Aubameyang will have a long-term future Considering the way things are at the moment, I think that some off the field stuff's clearly gone on and he looks completely distracted. But obviously, we know that the guy is quality, you know, and, and it's not like a, you know, a, a, a situation where we've signed, you know, we had Mustafi there who was doing literally nothing, <laughs> dreadful, dreadful football player and yeah. getting paid loads. We know Aubameyang can be utilised as part of this squad to produce for us. But I don't want to see him being our main representative on the field anymore. I think it's too stark with regard, you know, because the whole point, if we summarise everything that we're talking about, Arteta has preached about accountability and Aubameyang is the chief protagonist in a lack of accountability right now. He puts in shit performances on the regs and he just simply does not get you know there, there's there's no consequences for them and i want to see if you lay out rules there has to be consequences for players and this all comes into what i was saying earlier about are we prepared in the right way and if people put in shit performances slow starts then they shouldn't be able to play in games like this. And that, that's just a simple fact of the matter. You, you know, it comes down to lineup, it comes down to team talk, it comes down to, you know, who your leaders are. And all of these things make a difference with regards to the way that we address our opponents in the, in the league. And this year it has been far from good enough. Yeah, Johnny, I, I, I think that that's the, I think that's the right angle. It's, um, I don't know whether I don't know whether stripping him of the captaincy, you know that that almost feels like the nuclear option. I don't know whether you can come back from that once you do that. But you know, Mark Noble is West Ham's captain. He sits on the bench at the moment. We've had years with Per Mertesacker uh, sitting on the bench uh, as a captain and still doing an exceptional job behind the scenes despite being injured and. I think that Aubameyang needs the the same treatment that happened to a few of the senior players at Christmas. Let's put let's put Martinelli in for a few of the games that we've got coming up. Let's see what he can do. Uh, let let one of the younger players set the tone for our highest placed senior player. I don't I don't think anybody would be against that. And I, I honestly don't see how Martinelli could be any worse than what Aubameyang did today. He's uh, you know he's he's more direct. He's more aggressive. He's a more modern uh, player. And really, like I would actually like to know whether Martinelli is going to be a number nine for us next season. And what better way to to see than give him a few games in the, the end of like what you said earlier, Matt, which I agree with. It's a dead season. Dead season. Like I don't need to know any more about David Luiz. I would quite to like know I, I would quite to like like to know if Cal Chambers can be a good centre back. For us, I would be interested to see some of the younger players given a little bit more of an extended role because I don't want to give new deals to David Luiz this summer. I don't want to have to give Lacazette another year on his deal. It's time to move on from players that you know are always going to let you down in the big games. So, and you know, if we did by chance make it into the Champions League next season, I, f- I think the 
I think it would almost make it worse for certain players because David Luiz would go from playing Barcelona away to 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 Brighton at home, and that I'm I'm above this attitude would get even worse. So uh, it, I, I think that we need to have a little bit of a December moment here and, and give players that deserve to play minutes. Yeah, for sure. I, I I'd be on board with that for sure. What what, what are you are you in the same boat there, Matt? I don't think he should be stripped of the captaincy. I just think that's just not going to help anyone. I'm like, we've already got him. We've got to, we've got to set him up to succeed and try and create better conditions for him to do that. Yeah. I think there's still time for him. But the reality is, I mean, yeah, like we were saying, I mean, last, last week we got excited, but the season is now officially dead. Europa aside, like the league games are now just like, I mean, just something that we, it's, it's about match fitness. I mean, it's nothing, nothing more than that, really, is it? Um, because with that draw, we proved that we're going to limp in on in, in seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. You know, it's just going to there is no other way. So, really, our whole season is going to come down to five games: Slavia Prague, Villarreal, if we beat them, and then hopefully a final against United or Roma. And I think it's just. We just got to try and, and if we're going to succeed in those games, we probably need Aubameyang to score two or three goals. We need so, David Luiz, right? So, so we just need to, we need to just keep everyone ticking over, match fit, not get too much. Like, games like this is fine. Just don't let Arteta come under a lot of pressure again. Uh, let him just sort of like rumble on a couple of good performances, a couple of bad. Uh, try and not lose any games, a few draws. And we've just got to focus on these five cup finals that we've got. Because if Arteta wins the Europa League, he can go into next season in a great place with a, a young, exciting team that's maturing. He's got silverware in his first two seasons. But honestly, we're now getting to the point where if he doesn't win the Europa, I mean, there's going to be a lot of, lot of pressure on him from the first game of next season. Um, anyone who's listening to this pod, if you just want to shuffle back to a couple of episodes ago, you'll hear your very own Johnny Cochran saying very much the same stuff. And I don't think, Matt, it has changed from what I was saying then. The reality is, is, you know, we beat Tottenham. It were, you know, Tottenham's a special game and it's a big game. But the reality is, is Arteta for me will live or die on the Europa League. And if we crash out in the next round, there's going to be a lot of people calling for his head because it's been a shocking season. The league, I wasn't excited after Spurs game in terms of where we'd finish in the league. I knew the league was an absolute write-off. It's a car crash. And so, of course, we can talk about, you know, blood in players and, and um, you know, uh, that's appropriate. But ultimately, what worries me out of a game like this is how poorly we can start. And the further we go in the Europa League, which, as I've just laid out, is absolutely integral to Arteta's future, you know, we can't keep starting this poorly against teams because we'll get banged up and knocked out of that cup. If we get knocked out of the cup, the season has been... If we got knocked out in the, in the next round, the season has been an absolute tyre fire, a disaster. So it is, it, there's, there's, nothing, there's not, barely anything redeemable out of it, in my, in my opinion. And could I just say as well, in terms of while we're talking about players, because I know there's a lot of um, fanboys of this player who you know uh, always want to talk about him, and that is Pepe's influence when he came on. And when we talk about Aubameyang, the kind of yin and yang of that, obviously the person who, not only Martinelli, but the other person he's keeping out the team when he's playing is Pepe. And once again, for me, Pepe came on and provided a real positive influence. He set about his, his, you know, his role admirably and obviously played a key part in the, um, in the equalizing goal. Um, and, you know, in general, I thought just caused a lot of, a lot of, um, kind of danger to West Ham. I didn't really know how to deal with him when you set that against Aubameyang's timid performance and how easily he was marshaled. I think Pepe has done a lot to say he should be getting a lot more game time in the run in as well. Yeah. I thought Nicholas Pepe was fantastic today, but he, he looks hungry. He doesn't, uh, I always felt he was a bit of a victim sometimes. He was a victim of a game. But he doesn't. He's he's shaken that a little bit. He's toughened up. He's had that start, like starting to get that Perez transformation. Um, <laughs> the um, uh, just before uh, you know, I know you two are a uh, little bit you know hating on the season bit, but I, I will go back to the half season table because it you know 
if we accept that Arteta didn't get sacked and we're looking for uh, like progressive signs, like the season isn't a total wash if you look what's happened since Christmas. So after today's game, um, Arsenal were fourth in that half-season table, um, 28 points uh, from 15 games. We've scored uh, the same as Man United. Uh, we're th- three points of Man United in that table and they've played one more game than us. So if if this season is about being as good as the pack of teams that are maybe like now at the moment, really, second second to eighth, everybody's kind of on the same level. Maybe bar Liverpool, who will probably bounce back next season. If you're looking for hopeful signs that next season is going to be better, um, I think that we are seeing consistently that we're generally difficult to beat. There's more character about the side. We can create chances. Um, we defend well and players are stepping up uh, a level. You know, if, if if we can match that consistency, we will compete next year. And I don't think that we will have a massive dip um, like we did before Christmas. And, you know, the hope is on a better summer. But I, I don't... I don't think from Christmas onwards the season is a complete wash. If you're looking, no, at no, it's, it's not. It, it's not a complete wash. It's just every time we feel like we're getting a foothold and some momentum, we're not. That's the frustration. It's just the fact that, and we know that it's not success isn't necessarily a linear line. But my God, it does feel like two steps forward, one and three quarters back every time <laughs> and at least there's progress but it really it but really the, does the, i think the step back is all like it always feels like a bigger step back than it actually is because we always think we're going to go back to a 57 game run without a win but this this season since christmas uh we like we didn't get spanked today we conceded three goals which was a real rarity um we progressed fairly easily uh, in the in the in the Europa League, uh, despite having difficult games in between those matches, like I, there is, there is progress, it, but it has to be a, a whole year's worth, and it has to be like you know and up the whole way. And I think that Arteta just can't be lured um, this summer into thinking that those players that always let him down um, are going to turn the corner next year because they won't. But but this is the thing, right? And uh, I, I do appreciate your point, Pete. I really do. But I'm, I'm just not sure I completely agree with this in the sense that we can't do this, you know, count it from now because I'm actually playing this time. <laughs> you know, the fact is the season's the season. And in this season, there has been absolute dross at times. And yes, we are on a better run than we were in our absolute funk. But it's all the whole, it's the season. And that is why, for me, there is so much weight that is carried on the Europa League. Because one of the biggest issues, if you look at the critiques of Arteta, is a mentality issue with regards in, uh, with regards to the playing squad and the way that we set about our games. So even when we were in this really poor funk, most of it, it's not like you know we had players on the pitch who were worse than Burnley's players when we lost to them. It was a mentality issue, the way that we were playing. So... Now we're starting to see the fruition of some of Arteta's best laid plans with regards to his strategies and tactics, and we're giving him credit for that. Uh, And and rightfully so, we are looking better and more cohesive. But the issue is that there seems to be this soft underbelly which is not rooting out. And we can't give him the props for the way that the team sets up, you know, in terms of, oh, we've got three forwards against theirs and we're doing, you know, those kind of tactics. And we're consistently putting out performances where we're going up against teams, not matching their intensity, getting rolled over. And so for me, when we play those big games, that will be the thing that convinces me for Arteta. Because something that you always say, which I think is great, you don't have to be a great manager, you could be a lucky manager. Now, if he, in his big games, delivers results, because we talk about the fact we got through in the Europa League, let's not forget about that performance in midweek against Olympiacos. Absolutely dreadful again. You know, we got through because we played really well in the first leg and managed to do enough. But if that was, you know, we can't keep delivering good game, bad game, good game, bad game. And at the end of the day, he will be judged on the results. And we have to, for me, if we don't get into the final, I think there will be legitimate, at minimum of the final, legitimate calls for his head. I think, I don't know whether we'd get rid of him, per se, but I think the people calling for his head at that point, if we don't 
you know, at least look like we're going to really win something, I think they'll have very legitimate rights to do so. Because the season, for me, yes, we can look at shoots of life in different areas, but there are just as many bad points that I still don't think have been properly addressed, which could be point, pointed to. So, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the Europa League now. I don't, I don't agree. Soft, um, soft, soft underbelly is not Arsenal anymore. Bad errors, absolutely. But like soft underbelly, you know, like we've still got one of like the the better defenses in in the league. I think there are massive brain farts that we need to eradicate, um, and like hopefully less errors in the system are gonna, you know, we can carry that through to next season. But I don't that's think what that, I mean, though. Soft yeah. underbelly, though, with the uh, the mistakes, Pete. Like you know, it's not so much that we. You know, because it's a mental thing, isn't it? So that's what I mean. And I appreciate what you're going to say about we've got a very good defensive record. We do look more solid. But it's the mistakes. It's that mental fragility that I haven't seen addressed properly, which which is what worries me. Yeah, I mean, but and this is this is part of like what are the what decisions is Arteta going to make in the summer? Because I, I, I don't think it's necessarily like a team mentality issue. I think it's a talent issue. Granite Xhaka... It's not a kink in his uh, chink in his armor. It's a it's a fundamental flaw in his system that he will always make big errors. David Luiz, he's always made big errors in in big games, and I think the only way that you get around that is you is you have to upgrade well. And if we if we make more Martin Erdegaard upgrades next season, then I think we'll be in a better position. But again, like you can get we can we can allow errors in the system this year because it's still not fully his starting 11 um, and the system that underpins it is good but if it carries on into next season then it's a, it's an Arteta issue yeah I think I think that the reality is we know that we're on a, we're, we're on a good path but we can't stop shooting ourselves in the foot you know there are three games that really stick out the Wolves and Villa games today yep. you know if we had another six points then we're right in the mix for top four and everyone's feeling good and all of that is of our own making. And we just keep doing it. So it's more born out of frustration rather than a belief in the process. Uh, and I think, you know, we've just got to, got to keep going, but it's shaky ground when we keep, when, when we just can't keep making these mistakes. But hopefully we can, we've got, we've got a favorable draw, I think. I mean, frankly, if Arsenal can't beat Slavia Prague, then we might as well just give up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, they, beat, they beat Leicester though, right? I know, but I mean, I think that we should like, look, we, look. We we never get a we never get an easy draw. Getting to the FA Cup final was difficult. Like Unai Emery, Slavia Prague, and yeah, then just, one off we, in a final. We need to get to the final. We've no, got to and, go to down. Final. Got to and, go. Yeah, yeah, we have to get to the final, and then and then we have to win it. And uh, and I think we will. So uh... I, I I'm hopeful, and and this is the thing. I just just finally want to contextualise what I'm saying. Look, when I when I talk about Arteta, I'm not. I don't think I'm really railing on him. It's it's more the fact that I want us as Arsenal fans to expect more from the manager. Like we've got in such our standards have been lowered so much that we just accept things and we're like, oh, we're playing a little bit better. <laughs> like I mean, we're Arsenal. Come on, and 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 we should. But you know. When a couple of years ago, when we were in the Europa League, I'm like, we'd better win this. You know, we should be in the Champions League. Now, it's like, hopefully we get to the final. <laughs> what has happened to Arsenal? And, and for me, it's not that I think, I've, I've never said I think Arteta is an absolute disaster or anything like that, but we ha- all that we are are our principles and our standards. And we have to hold those standards higher. So why are we just letting people off for just, Horrible seasons and oh, and this player's playing well. Like that's all I mean. I don't think he's going to get sacked either way. But the fact is, is that I think he should definitely not be exempt from serious pressure for not delivering. Because you know we can talk about mitigating circumstances all we want. Everyone's had it. This is what we should we shouldn't accept this stuff. And when he does come into next year, if we finish poorly, he should be under pressure because we're Arsenal Football Club and you don't just get, this is no gravy train job. Do you know what I mean? And that, that's all where, that's where my hunger comes from. That's where my judgment comes from. I don't want to accept mediocrity because once we do, we've lost everything and I won't, I refuse to do it. 
No, one thing I'd say, sorry. The one thing I'd say though is that um, it's annoying, right? Because you, you bring in a young manager with in his first job as a manager and we basically all go, look, we've got to give him some time. He's going to make some mistakes. He's got to learn on the job. That's what we all say. We don't mean it. We just say that. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. and basically, and basically we, what we actually mean is we hope that you're a one in a million who just gets it <laughs> from minute one. And by the way, you're going to have no time and, and you better not make any mistakes. And I think what we're getting is exactly what is basically exactly that, which is a, a really, really promising young manager who's making mistakes and who's learning on the job. And actually, the bigger question is, how quickly is he learning from his mistakes? Like, has that terrible run last autumn and winter changed him? Um, you know, he, he shipped out those players that had, that had survived pretty aggressively after that run ended in January. You know, that was a sign of someone learning. And, and I think we're going to see this, this summer, you know, what lessons have been learned and what haven't. If, if Louise and I mean, he may have to, he may, I mean, Lacazette is making it increasingly difficult. If we could give Lacazette a one year extension, I mean, I'm now of the camp that we'd have to do it because oh, I hate it that I'm there as well. Like, I know. Oh, we, we, he's I got know. to stay. I mean, guys, what, what, what's so even good. going on here? I how, know. How can you even be talking like this about, like, Lacazette is a banker. Give him a contract because we don't have an adequate replacement. What are yeah. we Obama Yang's awful at the moment. Yes. Lacazette has to play in this setup and he was excellent today. He was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and, then, and then Louise, I mean. <laughs> Cal Chambers. No, don't, no I, won't, I won't have that. <laughs> Won't have that. Like Dino so, Mavropanos. Like, no, no. Unless you know, you, you know, he's getting the new deal. You know, I he know is. he's getting a new deal. They're at the, the Arsenal hierarchy are addicted to him. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but oh. I, I think um, I, 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 I agree with you both. Yeah, we've got to have um, we've got to have high standards. Like the the game after the break is Liverpool. If we beat Liverpool after the break. <laughs> The, we are second in the half-year table. <laughs> You're obsessed second. with the half-year table. Because, well, you said, like, you, you, if, you, if you two are accepting that Arteta didn't get sacked, then I'm going to restart where it is. But the point is, like, my point with the half-year table is it gives you progression going into next year. Whose half-year table would you rather be at the moment? Uh, Chelsea and Arsenal, who are on the up. Spurs and Liverpool, who've absolutely fucking tanked. You know, you prefer to be Arsenal going into next season. It's just whether we can carry that momentum forward. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think I think we need to have high standards, particularly in the Europa. I'll take United in the final. I, I, I yeah, will take that yeah. game. I think Arteta's outcoached OGS a few times. I think we can win that. My worry is the egg on my face if we get beaten by Unai Emery in the semi-final. That <laughs> Unai's I revenge. Would, I would love to play. I'd love to play Roma in the final. I think that just sounds like a proper European Europa final, you know, yeah, Italian team, you know, I'm really, it's just a chance to, I mean, we haven't won a European trophy since 1994. So it's been, been, been a long time. That's the thing. Let's be very clear. If we win the Europa League, this has been an excellent season. And yes. that, 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 it, those are the games that we play. Those are the margins we play within. You know, it, if we could win our first European trophy since I was in secondary school, I'd, I'd take my hat off to the guy and say, top stuff. Two, two trophies in two years. Outstanding manager. You're going to get yourself five years now. That, if I was handing out contacts, there's five, there's five more years. I like you, the cut of your jib, mate. You're delivering. But that, that's the fact of it. Like, if you could just, I don't care even about performances if you deliver trophies. But if you don't deliver trophies, you better be showing me something that I can, that, that trophies are on the horizon. But you, now, now Pete's just got me worried about Unai Emery and I can imagine. I mean, if we get beat by them, it, and he doesn't do a Jose Mourinho pegging it down the touchline to his player. Like you, Unai Emery would be going mad at the Arsenal fans, don't you think? A kind of Adi Bayor knee slide. No, or something like that. no, yeah, he lift his lift his t shirt to reveal good evening. 
Good, good, good evening and good, good, good night. <laughs> good evening oh, and good night. Yeah. It would be, it would be. I would, I would shut down all social channels. This podcast, I'll, I'll just give you the passwords. You can take over. There'd be oh, no we- more. No more He'd me. be DMing you more than Matt oh, DMs and Will Smith Road to be yeah. fair. <laughs> Good evening, Pete. <laughs> oh, it, would be, it would be awful. It would be awful. Right, guys. All right. Well, that was uh, like I, I don't know. I don't know if there is um, if you can take much from this podcast. A, a lot of a lot of up and down opinions, just like an up and down <laughs> game. Uh, but I think the one the one thing that we can all agree on: we've got to win the Europa League. We've got to win the Europa League. Yeah, and and I think if this was match of the day, you'd have a slow montage now of uh, Odegaard in the second half, set to music. What a player! What a dreamy player! It's so exciting. Oh. All right, guys, uh, thank you for joining the podcast, Johnny. Pleasure to have you on. As always, a pleasure to be on. And yeah, you know, if anything, I hope this has been cathartic for the listeners. You know, going through the same. Arsenal fans, schizophrenia that we're all going through of the ups and downs. But what a time to be alive, eh? <laughs> what a time indeed. Matt, thank you for coming on. Thanks, mate. Arsenal fans are so boring, aren't they? We're just like lurch from wild optimism to pessimism. It's just boring. We're just emotional teenagers, aren't we? <laughs> oh, I hate it. Football's so bad. <laughs> Um, on that note, um, if you listen to the podcast, give it a five-star rating. Say something nice about Johnny. Say something nice about Matt. They read those reviews all the time. Um, and on that note, I'll say ciao for now. Streaming the biggest sporting events, exclusive originals, and the latest movies. This February, we've got Super Bowl 56, the 2022 Winter Olympics, and the Peacock Original Bel Air. Plus, the new movie, Marry Me, in theaters and streaming Valentine's Day. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.